Hey, why am I his sidekick, all right? How do you know he's not my sidekick? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another issue of Fireside Chats. I'm your host, Menti, and with me, as always, are my wonderful sidekicks. First, P Feature. Hello, Internet. And then there's Mauer. Beep you, Menti. He said he was going to be soft. He said he wasn't going to give it all on that one, and he truly didn't. Beep Uh, you. (laughs) uh, WABC. WABC. No, uh, I don't want to be too gruff because we have uh, an icon. Mm. Um, or as you know, and we'll get into it and in, from chasing Amy, you know, a, a derogatory term about this person that's going around. And I don't believe some people might say, no, I'm not going to go there. We have Mark <laughs> McKenna here with us. I, um, I want to clap. I want to clap. I don't. I... <laughs> inker, uh, businessman and tradesman all in one. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And you can call me a tracer. I'm not offended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that wanted to be. I wanted that to be my first question. How often uh, after that movie came out did people come up and call you a tracer? You know, it happened, and I think people do it because they, you know, they're trying to see if you can get pissed off. You know, and never bothered me. I get it. I, and then I've actually remember working in, a, in a, uh, an art supply store before I started at Marvel. And people said, oh, you basically just trace over the pencils. And I put the paper down in front of them. I said, try that. And they were like two lines in and go, oh, this is hard, you know, and sh- shut them right up, you know. Um, well, have, have you ever come across a page that was given to you and maybe it's normally a great artist and they were just like, you look down and go, oof, I got a lot of work to fix this up. I... The early part of my career, inking Mike McCone on the Punisher uh, Warzone stuff and the summer special, he put nose hairs on the guy's nose. He had so much detail wow. that, in fact, the reason I got that job was because on the Punisher summer special, too, was because they offered it to Dan Panosian, and uh, he passed. He said, this is way too much detail for me, and he bailed, and that gave me my opportunity, and that basically started my coming back from D.C. over tomorrow and then getting on a regular gig from there. Yeah, I've watched people do some inking, and sometimes you look at it and go, the the penciler barely put anything there, yeah. and the inker does everything. And then other ones you look down and you go, how are you going to get those minute little details? Yeah. You know? No, on the... Yeah. There's quite a range. I mean, uh, Herb Trimpey, I inked him on the Thor Annual one year, and, you know, I grew up reading Herb Trimpey comic books, Hulk books. So um, the fact that I was inking them, and he, this is kind of the second coming of Herb Trimpey. This is when he kind of like found out that if he, he could draw a little like Rob Liefeld, which is a little difficult because <laughs> he kind of sold the farm a little bit to do that, you know, because Herb Trimpey is such a his classic style. Yep. Um, so I got to ink him uh, after he was the the iconic Herb Trimpey, you know, and uh, it was a, it was difficult for me because he wasn't putting it all down. And um, 
I had only been really used to dink, you know, working on, on tight pencils at that time. So it was a little more challenging. You have to know your anatomy, you know, back then, or you have to know how to finish buildings and cars, you know. Did, do you find, do you ever have to like make the executive decision to tone down the detail or just go, this doesn't work and then just kind of darken that whole area out or is there ever like feud between you and the penciler? Well, I, to be honest with you, if I find if a penciler is going to put that detail down, he wants it there, you know, and um, I generally am not going to mess with it. I'm going to put down what he put down. Uh, but that, that also causes a problem too, because sometimes guys do less. And um, and do they want less, or are you supposed to elaborate more? Mm-hmm. So that becomes a whole thing. My first work um, on uh, Legion eighty nine uh, at DC was over uh, Barry Kitson, and he had just come off of uh, another inker who they d- didn't work with him. He was changing eye directions and mm-hmm. uh, adding uh, facial expressions that weren't there in the pencils. So. Kitson would pull back and then do simpler pencils. So when I came on the book, I was thinking he wanted simpler inks, you know, and it took me a little while. I was on the book for 14 months, and um, I think I kind of, you know, upped my game a little bit. But in the beginning, you weren't sure because he was a little reluctant because of the guy I was on previously. Well, and now you go fast forward into what we're going through now, and the penciler, quote unquote, can do things digitally. And you can go through ink it and go, ah, oh, well, I didn't like that inking. Okay, undo, undo, undo. True How about story. this? Yeah. No, it's a so, true story. I don't do anything digitally, though. I'm still working on hard copy uh, art. My digital is a matter of um, printing out blue lines and, uh, you know, messing with the blue color. So I don't make it too, you know, too, too blue. You know, when you're inking black lines over blue, I mean, I'm now putting it in the computer scanner, printing it out so I can lighten the, dis- the blue lines will disappear, of course, right? Non-repro blue, they call it. But um, sometimes too much blue is distracting and sometimes too light a blue, you, you don't get the details. So you got to play a little bit with that too. Do you ever find uh, that because, I mean, I know I heard an interview uh, not too long ago where you said that you've, you've drawn about 100 books, but you've inked 1,200 books, or 1,200 pages, excuse me. Um, yeah. But because you still are such a prolific inker and you are such an established artist, do you find that other artists that you're working for, or other pencilers that you're working with, tone down what they can do because they know that you can do it? Do you ever find that? Do you ever um, find people like... Yeah. Dumb it down almost because they're like, well, I got, I got Mark. Do, they only do half their homework. Right, exactly. Mark is going to finish their homework. Yeah, no, I, I was never really, I don't really consider myself a finisher in that respect. And that, by the way, the guys who generally were inkers at finishers got more money per page than regular inks. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I, they, I think they added $25 a page for finishes. In fact, I might have even got that for ink in that Herb Trimpy Thor annual. Um, but uh, guys like Al Milgram would do loose pencils, and then they'd bring in like a Joe Sinnott, and they would tighten everything up and make it like – if you got Joe Sinnott on a book, whether he's inking John Byrne, Al Milgram, or, you know, Soupy Sales, uh, you know, he, they'd all be the same quality across, you know. Um, I think you I, – I don't think I had that kind of tenacity when I worked on my stuff. A lot of it was touchy-feely, you know, for me. In, in the comic fandom – and I don't know if it's just because people aren't going as deep anymore. 
uh, I remember looking at who's the penciler, who's the anchor, you know, because it all built into a thing right now. Um, and I, if we've, we've run into fans where they're like, Oh, it's just the artist. Like there's an artist and they do everything in this book. Right. And then the writer just writes it. Right. Uh, do you see the appreciation, uh, increasing or de- decreasing with the modern comic fan? As far the as anchor? the creators, as, as far as the multiple creators versus just kind of one creator. Um, I do think it's broad, right. You know, Colorists weren't getting their 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 comeuppance in the time um, back in the seventies eighties until the Image Comics guy started you know doing that digital Photoshop coloring because back uh, I don't know if you guys remember the name of Murphy Anderson. I do. Why do I know He's that? He co-created name? a Hawkman back in the ah, late forties, okay. early fifties. Uh, he had a uh, he had a uh, um, studio that did uh, what they call ruby and amber lift. They were cutting uh, co- colored um, acetates, and they were burning um, the colors through these acetates. So the coloring back in the 70s and 80s was literally uh, colorists printing out uh, 8.5-11 copy of the artwork and taking Dr. Martin colored dyes and just kind of faking in the color and then coating that, putting a putting a line from the color to the border, to the panel uh, margin, and and coating it. So it was what they call a Pantone color guide. So Y2 would be 25% yellow. Y3 would be 50% yellow. Y4 would be 100% yellow. So they, for, that's for an example. So they would have those uh, Pantone color guides, and then they would send them to, like, say, Murphy Anderson Studio, and then he would then do these ruby and amber lift acetates and somehow they would burn through them and that's how they got the color wow. and then here along comes image they they, they start doing you know using illustrator and photoshop and uh change the game so now the color has actually gained a lot of more notoriety right because nobody really you know the colorist was you know there was a million of them but uh the stuff changed you know and sometimes uh digital coloring can overpower the inks right sometimes they get a little too crazy with what they do. And um, it never should be, look at me, you know, look at me, I'm, right. I'm the colorist. It always should be supporting, you know, the art. And uh, I've had issues with that. You get good colors, you get bad colorists, you know, um, like anything, right? Yeah, we, you know, we have friends that have their comic and I think it took them to like their third colorist to like, oh, you know what? This color matches our inking styles, matches our story style. And it felt like, you know, giving birth to a child, like, ah, <laughs> it's it's finally here. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's yeah. interesting to see how technology has maybe subdued some things, but then brought to the forefront, you know, colorists now go, wow, look at that. You have these cool textures. I remember with the early image books, it was almost like they were using photos and some of them for the texture behind it. Yeah. Uh, and then Hulk being green because gray was hard. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we've come such a long distance. Yeah. True story. You know, lettering, you know, all that hand lettered stuff, you know, we used to get paid uh, as inkers 10% more page rate for uh, inking unlettered pages because when they would put the word balloons over the artwork, they literally cutting out uh, Xerox copies of word <laughs> balloons and rubber cementing them to the page because they were always on 
crazy tight deadlines. Wow. And every time they would cover your artwork, they pay you 10% more uh, until they decided they weren't doing that anymore. Um, I mean, the days of, you know, hand lettering are done. You know, all those guys created fonts, you know, John Workman, and uh, I can't even think of some of the guys, you know, they create fonts with their name, you know, Workman Light, Workman Gothic, you know, this kind of a thing. And they, if you buy their art, you know, I think every time they you, you purchase their art, I mean, their, um, their fonts, you know, is what you would do. So that became a thing too, you know. It changed dramatically from when I started in 85, for sure. Well, okay. So... With journalists nowadays not being able to just be journalists, right? They have to be photographers. They have to be videographers. They have to have that whole skill set in order to, t to handle that job. With the way that digital art has been changing the landscape of, I mean, pretty much every medium that involves art, what would you say to somebody who's getting into comics now or getting into being an artist now? What, were, what should they be focusing on now that we live in a world of iPads and Apple Pencils when one person, like there is no, as you said, there's no one handwriting the, uh, the letters anymore. Yeah. So uh, flat out, uh, the thing is, nothing will take away from good drawing skills. Um, I think you need to go and take life drawing classes. You need to draw from life. You need. You can't just go in and say, "Oh, I want to," you know, "I want to uh, draw like Rob Liefeld and then do a poor Rob Liefeld interpretation or impression, <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, go out there." I remember watching these bad monster movies on the Sci Fi Channel where they have these, you know, T-Rex, you know, coming down and it's all low budget stuff. And you, you never sensed that, you know, the, the dinosaur was in the same panel with the, the, the woman, you know, or that was getting going to get eaten. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember somebody saying to me, they don't understand. These guys know how to use the programs, but they don't understand the weight mm. of, of a T-Rex. Or, or the shadowing and, and how, how things, how people walk, you know, and stuff like that. So I think that plays a role all the way across the board. You know, um, if you're digitally, uh, if you're, if you're good, you, you can do digital. I still think without the drawing skill that you're, you're deficient, you know? Oh, absolutely. Not all the time, but. No, that's a great answer. No, I completely agree. It's because the, the, you know, they, they say a lot of times hard work looks like talent, but regardless, talent is talent. <laughs> like, you still need that. Sure. <laughs> even if the hard work gets you the talent, you still need the talent. Yeah, I agree. Well, and even comes down to, we talk about, like, the Marvel movies and all, and I think you nailed it. For me, a lot of times, the CGI might take me out of it, mm -hmm. and it looks beautiful, but it just doesn't feel natural because the person doing it might not have that background as an artist, mm -hmm. they're a digital artist that's been told to do something. Uh, and you can even across music, you know, the nineties was very much, you know, program press this and it didn't have the swing to the drums. Yeah. So the drums always sounded weird because right, right, they were right, too right. on time. Mm -hmm. and you can almost say that the imperfections created by a good artist mm -hmm. is what gives that art. It's, yeah, it's feel to it. Perfect answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are times that, I mean, I do a lot of digital art, but there are times that I will purposely put a mistake on there just because I think it looks more realistic. <laughs> uh, purposely? Yeah. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Uh, but okay, so I want to I stick to what, what Maurer just said, especially with uh, you know, the MCU and how, how much that has changed the, the landscape of, of comic books. Just in the short time that we've talked, it seems like the art is more important than the IP to you. Is that right? More important than the, the the intellectual property, the IP. Uh, 
You, you feel that's a yes? Just based on the conversation, just because as we've talked, it seems like you, you you speak very much about the process of making. And I know a lot of our questions have leaded that, uh, led you to that, but I'm curious as to somebody who's like had their hand in Deadpool, who's left their mark on so many different books. When you go to see the Deadpool movie or you go to see a Marvel movie, what is that like for you? You know what I mean? Like being a part of the creation is one thing, but you also left a mark that you could potentially, if not already have seen in something big screen and has changed, you know, media as we've, as we know it. Yeah. I, I to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm just like you guys. I, I, you know, I just happen to have a thousand inking credits, you know, but, um, but I, I, I always tell this story that I go clean dog shit in the backyard, like everybody else, you know, um, <laughs> But uh, growing up, you know, reading comic books and then, you know, you know, seeing the Verrazano Bridge in Brooklyn and thinking that the Human Torch could be flying overhead or the Hulk could just rip the bridge apart, <laughs> that became part of my psyche at some point. And I started thinking like that. So when Spider-Man first, you know, left the, you know, when Tobey Maguire first left across the building, I thought, this is my childhood here. It's come to fruition, you know, and uh I felt very fortunate to be part of that. Um, you know, be, I, because I've had so many credits, but I'm not known for it. I don't think any one book, except I did do 39 issues of Marvel's Exiles. And um, Blink was, uh, that was kind of the coming out for Blink, you know. Yes. And then they did that, uh, what, X-Men Days of Future Past, where they brought her in. So I felt a little bit more like she's my baby. A little yeah, bit, you know? yeah. <laughs> I, I can't say I felt that way about anything else I've ever done. Um, uh, you know, even though I've had some runs on um, Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol is a great story. Actually. Yes. Um, you know, you, you follow the Doom Patrol TV show? I 100% do. And, yeah. and when I was looking over your credits and I saw that you had your hand in Doom Patrol, I was like, what, what is that like? When Because Doom Patrol is not like, <laughs> put it this way, when I said we that how great Doom Patrol was, it I had to pull teeth to get some of the people on the show to watch it uh, and because the comic never really reached newer audiences as much as it did when it first came about you know what i mean it didn't it didn't last as long and now it's just it's one of the best comic shows i think i've ever seen so for someone yeah. like you to watch it it has to be i mean i can't even fathom what that would feel like yeah it was surreal um uh for me in a, in a few different ways um one of the coolest things was the uh and i don't know if you know even know about this but uh uh a year before doom patrol came out one of the stunt people on the um, on the show reached out to me and asked me if she would draw. I could draw her boyfriend as the Black Knight, and uh, his name is Hutch. And she asked if I could put a faux um, title in a little marble corner box. And uh, I did the whole thing, and uh, I put Hutch was the logo, and she gave it to her her boyfriend as a Christmas present. A year later, uh, Doom Patrol's happening, and. Um, they reach out to me and again, and they said, uh, we'd like you to do our hoodie for the, for the stunt team. Wow. Nice. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, I was like, really? Yeah. This is really cool. Yeah. So, uh, I said, listen, I, I'm the anchor on the, on the project. I was, uh, I did 14 issues of it. Um, I would like to bring in Richard case who was the pencil artist and he was pretty much the look of the book at the time. So I reach out to Richard. He's like, I'm in, I don't care if they ever pay me a penny. I want to do this. And we did. They did 53 hoodies uh, with the uh, with the with the Doom Patrol. Um, it's so like a cog, like a, a you know a wheel. 
and then the back is all of the characters. And uh, I told him originally I'd do it for two hundred dollars in a free hoodie, and then Richard, <laughs> Richard did it for free. And then <laughs> I think I got uh, I got one hoodie out of it, and then I had to buy two more for my my uh, my son and my son-in-law. But uh, to be part of that, and then you know, and they told me if I ever go down there, they'll buy me lunch and have you walk through and meet the, meet the guys. But they're down in Georgia. It's just not in my wheelhouse sure. to go there. That's that's just awesome that you know the connection there and i've seen you through social media and at conventions go back and re-ink you know some art from people from throughout the years so do you feel more connected to the pencilers and the artist versus the content like i don't care if it's batman or iron man or doom patrol or long shot it's the artist that I want to go back and I want to re-enjoy working with their work versus what you're actually drawing. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. I, I like um, very much. Also, you know, the, my, my knowledge and my wisdom is, you know, 35 years in the business, you know, um, actually I started in 85, so it's what now even 37 years, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah. So for me, there's, uh, I always, I, Listen, I'm not in the business of pissing anybody off either, you know. I mean, there's times where I've worked with guys and they didn't like what I did because I didn't quite get their concept, you know, what they were trying to do. Or um, uh, there's one guy, uh, George's, George's Genty, who um, I inked on an issue of Deathstroke. And he was doing very light pencils, and I wasn't quite sure how to get it right. And... Um, he the guy now that I'd like to go back and re revisit, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm a different guy than I was when I did it 20 years ago, you know, that definitely plays a role for me. Oh, so then I have a, I have a, I have a follow-up question on this thing. Cause I'm, I'm curious, especially when you start getting into your creator own stuff, combat jacks, things of that nature. When, do you find, do you find it hard to, to, to stop with deadlines? Like, are you the kind of person who just keeps tinkering even after it's over? No, you got to you got to get that stuff out, man. Uh, you just got to let it go. Uh, if this, I had this next part, Matty, <laughs> that, that was a personal that? one. They're, ma they're, they're making fun of me because this is what oh. I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, tell me what the right answer is. Um, yeah, no, no, tell I, him uh, to stop. <laughs> well, when I worked on staff in '85 and '86, uh, I'll tell you a little story you don't know. But uh, Jim Owsley, who is now Christopher Priest was the Spider-Man editor at the time. And uh, Friday night, FedEx, 387 Park Avenue South, Marvel Comics, 10th floor. He'd always have his assistant editor running down the stairs at five minutes to 10 to get the artwork out the door so he could get, the, you know, get it printed, you know. And um, that was a common uh, occurrence with that. So, um, yeah, they were always tinkering with the art or had, you know, stuff that wasn't quite right. Or something wasn't, you know, something was always a little haphazard. But, you know, you got to look away. You know, it's uh, when you, because you, you, the month, you know, if you're in a monthly schedule, it doesn't take, it doesn't take vacations and it doesn't take time off. You know, the holidays do not, do not change the the publishing schedule. So, they have to stay to course. You know, um, that's yeah. the thing. So now I did have. <laughs> I had something running through my mind. Anytime I think of an anchor, I think of, you know, going back and doing it with, you know, the liquid ink and going through and painting it. Like, guys, did you ever have that moment where you have the pencils in front of you and the ink 
may have spilled or <laughs> you know that was my always my biggest fear of doing things with ink like that's a bottle there and it can ruin <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of tape on those bottles right <laughs> but i do have a story with that my daughter was four years old and she was going to help daddy ink an x-factor page Ooh. um and my wife comes up upstairs and she says, can I borrow your whiteout? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't have my whiteout. And also I'm like, what does she need my whiteout for? You know? And I go down, she goes, um, Aaron, my daughter got one of my markers and started scribbling right on one of the faces on the X factor annual, oh. you know? And I was like, nah. you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, I had to, um, go in and white out the whole face and then, you know, refer to pencils or whatever, and then re-ink it. Yeah. But uh, other than that, the um, the other stuff, you know, because you work on a slightly tilted table, right? Mm -hmm. And um, or you'd be in the top corner, and all of a sudden the pen would fall out off your hand and just roll down the table and get stuck <laughs> in your leg or something like yep. that, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, I never had a whole full bottle spill. Thankfully, that that's that is a nightmare even thinking about that. Yeah, it was just always in my head thinking of anchor because you think of anchor ink. I'm like, it has to be. Like yeah. either the most careful people in the world yeah. with hands like surgeons. Yeah. Or there are pages out there where Anchor had to go, hey, uh, can you do page 17 over again? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a little bit of a sidebar. I was doing uh, some work for Image and um, Mike Heisler was the uh, editor at the time, editor in chief at the time. And uh, he sent me a box. I can't remember what the project was for, but. Um, the box showed up, the FedEx box showed up empty. The box came to my door, I opened I, it. It was loose, the lid was loose. The, there was no pages in there. Oh. And, I, 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 and all I could think of is like, what, you know, where, where is this stuff, you know? And he was, he was freaking out. So he ended up sending me, you know, the copies and I ended up light boxing, you know, the, the pencils, but that, that's a nightmare in itself, let alone spilling a pile of ink on something, you know? So, Mark, uh, back when I was younger, I, when I actually was drawing, uh, I never, and I was heavy into pencil art, um, I never really gave too much credence to inking, and I tried it one time, because I, I, I'm not going to lie, I used to always think of it as tracing, so I, when I got to, okay. to understand what inkers actually do, I tried it myself. And realize the, the, the degree of difficulty to go over the lines that you, as a pencil artist, you don't even get the lines right the first time. You're still dealing with a lot of erasing. But with the ink, it's, it's almost like a, this is a one chance you get. It's got to be right. So, like, uh, I, for people to say that that's tracing, I, I think it's, a, it's kind of a slap in the face. And so, I just want to say, like, I, I really respect that part of the craft more so that I've tried it and I've, yeah. I did horribly at it. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to stick to what I can do. And then maybe if I ever yeah. get one of my characters like big enough, because actually when I was a kid, I, I always kind of wanted to do or work in comics. So, but mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, uh, I, I get it. I, um, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot to inking, right? Of course it's, uh, it's, um, Thick to thin lines. It's uh, you're separating, you know, mid ground from background to foreground. You know, things need to pop. You know, right. um, you 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 you're, you're have to be aware of light sources. You know, light and darks, and um, all of that plays a role. You know, uh, yeah, I, I I had a thought, but I just 
when I ran out the other brain cell, sorry. But yeah, but it is, it's a tricky business for sure. Um, oh, I, was, I know what I was going to say. Kevin Nolan um, was in a chat room with Kevin Nolan one time, and he was saying that most pencilers should be inking their own stuff because they know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't agree with that. Some guys pencil, like you said, their features, and that's all they that's what they're really good at, right? right? And maybe they didn't spend enough time with the ink tools. So why not hand it off to somebody who, who, who knows. can do that better? Right. And um, I got shit on for that because they were like, oh, you're, you know, Kevin Nolan's a god, you know? And um, yeah, yeah, so are you. Yeah. I was amazed how many, how many lemmings just jumped off, uh, jumped, in, uh, jumped on his side <laughs> and said, you know, yeah, you know it's 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 it, you know it's wrong. You know he he's he's right. I'm like no, there are plenty of guys out there that don't know how to ink that draw it beautifully, and um and I understand that quite possibly I'm not going to do exactly what they want me to do, mm-hmm. but it's probably going to be better than just a bunch of scratchy lines too. You know. Yes. Do you find that there are some artists that appreciate it more? Especially, and I don't know if he's always done this. I can't quite remember. Like Todd McFarlane now is inking some of his own sketches or inking other people's art for Spawn. Do you think somebody like that appreciates more and might not have jumped off the ledge as a lemming and might have defended you a little bit more? A guy like Um, Todd, you're saying? Yeah. Good question. Um, I do think a lot of guys, you heard me. But I also think they were afraid to speak up. You know, mm. um, I think that was the. Uh, I remember Bill Ray, who was um, really talented guy. I think he went off to do an animation, and he said something to the effect of, "I knew this was going to start a problem," you know, uh, because I spoke up. You know, um, I think a lot of people are afraid. You know, you know, you watch that special with Marilyn Manson, uh, Phoenix Rising, right now, with Evan Rachel Wood. You know, she was in fear for her life because all the Manson Knights were all like going to mess with her and promise to kill her and find her and all that stuff. And she was scared for life. And all the, you know, when you're when you're a rock star or somebody in that position, even in a comic book rock star, you know, um, sometimes it's difficult to speak up. But I, you know, I've been in the business a while. I wasn't going to sit there and let something that didn't I didn't believe, you know. Trump what I was believing, you know, I was going to speak up, you know, good for you. That's like, yeah. that's some fans, you know, that let artists out there that don't know how to draw hands and feet. Wow. Okay. Make them seem like they're the greatest ever and defend them. But you know what? <laughs> you need to be able to draw hands and feet. We're going there. Pouches. <laughs> We're going there. Wow. <laughs> Well, all right. I, 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 okay. I'm going to reel back in for, for McFarland for a quick second because it's the greatest segue. And I saw on your Twitter that, uh, what was it? He's, you wrote 20 years ago, he uh, commissioned a spawn piece from you and you still have it. He still hasn't got it. Is there a bigger story to that? No, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, he paid us <laughs> super well. I did um, two or three spawn pinups for him, uh, one with Sal Valudo, uh, who was doing Justice, I was doing Justice League Task Force with him at the time. And uh, I did one with Mike McCone, and he's paying great money for these pieces. I I, I think he's spending seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't remember what the number was, but it was a lot more than we got at Marvel or DC. And um, I believe those pieces are still sitting in a flat file. And this is probably <laughs> yeah twenty something years ago. 
And uh, I was thinking, you know, will I ever see them in print? I, I didn't get the artwork back. Um, and I'm okay with that because he paid so well, you know. Uh, but at the same time, are they ever, is he ever going to do a Spawn pinup book where there's like a thousand of these pieces are going to be in a, in a knowing, knowing what we know after talking to Todd, uh, with the stuff just lying around his house. They're all in his closet. <laughs> all, we were interviewing him, and all of a sudden he goes, hold on, just just one second. Here's the first ever drawing of Spawn I ever did. Wow. Oh, in the closet over here. You know, this is my art when I was a kid, and it was like, next, just, here's Spawn 100's first cover. Wow. Like, it was just, I think we'll get your art in a pinup book <laughs> when he stumbles across it and goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I can put something out with that. We're you know, hilarious. It's, yeah, we're just you gonna know, I got to thank him on uh, Spider Man three hundred five. By the way, oh uh, yeah, yeah. I I um the editor called me and offered me an issue of uh, Todd uh, Jim Sanders, who was his inker at the time, fell off. And I think he had uh, once he had some issues. You know, I don't know if they were alcohol, drug related issues. He disappeared. So so uh, the editor at the time says to me, "Yeah, oh, we want you to ink issue three hundred five of Amazing." So I said, I'll be in tomorrow to pick it up. I was living in New Jersey at the time with uh, Fabian Niciesa and Kevin McGuire. And I was taking the bus. I would take the bus in. So by the time I get to Marvel Comics, he he gave away 17 pages and only had five left for me. I'm like, what? I thought I was doing a book. He goes, well, I got nervous. I didn't know if you know, you're going to be able to do the whole book. So he gave me five pages, you know, and uh it was the Gray Fox, I think, was the uh, the, the villain in that, you know. And, yeah, well, and Prowler was in that issue. David, so. yeah. David Michelini. That was that was a, such a good run of Spider-Man. Yeah, it was. Um, so I got to keep, I think, two of the pages. And then one of my friends at the time spoke, uh, uh, talked me into selling me, selling him the one of the pages that I kept. One of the pages oh. I sold. I didn't really think, I don't know if Todd was going to be a big deal, right? I think I probably got under $100 for it. It hurts my feelings. But um, the other page, the guy, this guy said, oh, I'd love to buy it from you. I'm, like, I'm not selling myself. One day I said to him, all right, I'll sell it to you, 100 bucks." And then he moved at, He moved away and never saw the guy again. Then I see it on uh, eBay. I think it made 9000 I don't even know what it made. Oh, it was on um, Heritage. I think it was on Heritage. Yeah, Heritage. And that yeah, explains yeah, yeah. the air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> they explain the air quotes around friend. Yeah. So what was it like inking the spaghetti webs for the first time? Mm, good question. Spaghetti webs. It was fun. I, I had a lot of fun with him. He's, he's color, you know, the stuff is lively, you know? I mean, you know, you could disagree that he could do a spawn cape that changes the size of their repanel, but <laughs> stuff, stuff is lively, you know? I really enjoyed it, you know? It had a little slightly you know, animated stock edge to it, just really good. I was uh, I was listening to an interview where you were talking about the differences of working with DC and working with Marvel and then how at the time because of the success of Marvel it, you didn't feel like they cared as much about the about their artists where DC on the other hand bent over backwards. Um, do Very you true. feel that through your time as as prolific as you are and as in the 30 years that you've been doing this do you feel like that's waxed and waned with the two companies or even the three if we throw image in there or do you feel like that's pretty much been Marvel? I always felt that was the way it was, yeah. Um, Marvel, if you did a book for Marvel, you were lucky to get copies of the book. Wow. DC was, you know, DC was Warner Brothers, though. They were all very corporate, right? I mean, you didn't walk in there and see a giant um, ball of aluminum foil in the in the one of the editor's room or, you know, have uh, rubber band fights in the bullpen. You know, it was very formal. Um, but DC, 
you would get a box of comps in the mail the week before your book came out. It'd be 20, 25 in a box, every, every book. Oh, that's every awesome. Book. Yeah. That's D- Marvel, you were lucky if you got a little middle envelope with two copies in the mail. <laughs> um, DC, uh, Christmas presents every year, Christmas cards every year. It was just, they were very, uh, good to their freelancers. And you, you know? you're, you're equating that to the fact they were owned by Warner Brothers? Uh, yeah, Marvel was loosey-goosey before they became, uh, you know, publicly traded, you know. Um, I don't know that publicly traded changed the way they handled their freelancers, though. You yeah, I was about to say, well, now they got the Disney money. Now they yeah. got the Disney corporate board. I wonder how is that? <laughs> but they got that Disney bean counter going, yeah, we don't need to give them that. Uh, one <laughs> copy each, please. Probably true, you know. Uh, out of curiosity, because since since there are, there's obviously the the love for the IP, does it make you nervous? The recent trend of it seems like the comics trying to catch up to the movies, opposed to the comics influencing the movies, where it seems like a lot of the decisions are being made to mirror what's happening on the big screen, opposed to leading the way. I I always I think this is true. I feel like um, the comic companies are basically there to be ravaged by the studios. Wow. Yeah. Um, they can pull, listen, because, you know, um, you know, vendors made $600 million or whatever it made. Um, they're not giving that money back to the publishing, uh, publishing arm. They're not, they just, um, they just keep picking the cherry, cherry picking what they want. And, uh, Marvel's there to provide that for them, you know, um, which is sad, you know, I know a lot of times now more they're giving creators credit. I don't know if they're getting paychecks, they're getting the name and, that, well, that's another big part is that, like, for example, at the end of every movie now, you see like special thanks to all of the, you know, the, the, the most influential artists on that, whatever that book was. But sure. at the same time, you go on Twitter and they go, well, thank you, but I'd love a check. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I've seen it recently with something, too. In fact, yeah, I don't remember who it was, but disappointing. Yeah, exposure you know? uh, doesn't pay for lunch meat. Right, that's, right. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. They are like the, the standard person on Instagram who's like, well, you, I, you could draw this for me, but I'll give you exposure. No. <laughs> no. It doesn't pay the bills. That's the thing I for one of my first companies I worked for back in 80, uh, before I, uh, Marvel, uh, I remember with Now Comics, I did a book called Die Kamikaze. And um, I remember the, the, the wife of the owner saying to me, hey, this is not money for you. This is your time. You're just putting the artwork out there. This is not, you know, it's our money. It's your, it's just your art. I'm like, yeah, my money is, my art is my money. No comprehending. I'm like, this is, she's out to lunch, you know? <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's a very nice way to put that. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, and I've bumped into you at conventions pre-COVID. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the artists and anchors and everything treating the conventions almost like they're better than the fans. You have always been approachable and you've done sketches that are very, very, you know, inexpensive, you know, and connecting the fans. But then you go to the other end and it's like, Oh, well that's a thousand dollars just for me to look at a book and sign it. What do you think is the big cause between that? Do you think they were mistreated? So now they're trying to get theirs or is it a little bit of how may a little bit of comedy of, I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah, it could be a personal thing, you know. Uh, I, I always have a hard time sitting at a con and drawing when you're doing it all day at home. And you go to a con. I want to just meet people and not see, you know, not see the top of my head when I'm drawing. I want to, I want to, I want to connect, you know. Uh, uh, but I, I do. I know those guys that are out there, and they're 
they're arrogant, maybe, you know, there's an arrogance to them. I, I don't, I don't understand that. Why to go to a con and not be, you know, if, 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 if the fan base is not buying your comics, you're not getting the money. You're not, you're not who you are, you know? So you got to pay, pay respect to the people that are got you there. I, I never understood that, but, um, I remember yeah, I've seen you talk to kids, you know, like they were the most important thing in the room at conventions. Yeah. So well, I feel that way. I mean, I was a kid, you know, I, I remember meeting Klaus Jansen when I was a fan and I jokingly said to him, you know, maybe one day I'll be inking you, you know, uh, which didn't happen, but ironically you could have, you know, which was weird because I talked to him like we're equals now. And I remember being a fan before I was in the business. So, um, but I appreciated his time. He, he, he stopped what he was doing to talk to me. And then this guy's, you know, and I, I don't want to throw him under a bus, Dave Stevens, the Rocketeer guy. Mm. I was at I was at DC under contract and I got a chance to meet him. I actually went to a store appearance he was at in Staten Island. And um, I drove a half hour to go meet him. And he, all he could say to me is, oh, I'm late for dinner. I got to go. And he walked out the door and I just drove a half hour to come and hang out with you. And you, you just, but it, he wasn't snooty. He was just, um, uncomfortable with his, what he, you know, what he was, do, you know, he didn't, he was in for the art. He wasn't in for the fan base. And yeah, I've read lots of interviews. I'm probably one of the biggest Rocketeer fans in the world. And it seems like he was even offered to be a bigger artist than he was. And he turned it down because it was too much yeah. pressure and having to do with this and having to interact with people. And it made him uncomfortable. That, 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 that sounds exactly right to me, you know? You know, it, artists are still artists. And it's hard to explain to people if you're not friends with an artist to know, like, what goes on behind the scenes. And sure. they're putting their work out there. And it, you don't have to be an expert in anything to go, oh, that comic sucked. And not realizing that there's probably five, six people, you know, at a core base involved with it. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for these up and coming artists that are getting negative reactions that might not be warranted? Hey, you know, <laughs> yours are warranted. Um, you have to learn how to be able to walk through that. You know, um, you have to be able to be able to dust off your shoulders, uh, go for a beer, you know, take an Irish car bomb, whatever, you know, and then, uh, and then get back to the, the, the art again. Um, in the beginning, I remember one editor telling me I wouldn't, I wouldn't publish. I was working on a book called Swords of Texas for Eclipse Comics with uh, Chuck Dixon and Bo, Bo Smith. Uh, and I brought that stuff to Marvel and showed it to an editor. And the guy said, I wouldn't print this stuff. If, he goes, no offense to you, but this isn't good, you know. And, mm. you know, and I'm starting. I'm just starting out. And I'm, I, I could be crushed, you know. But uh, I went out, I had a couple days to straighten myself up. I came back stronger for it. And like any, you know, and that's just me, you know, but I think that anybody who's gonna get in this business or wanna be in this business, you have to be able to, I mean, it's fear of flying, right, too, or fear of failure. Yeah. Um, you could go one way or the other way, you know, if you fail, you have to be able to brush yourself off and, and, and come back stronger for it. Or, you know, there's guys out there that just can't do it, you know. Um, I know personally guys that were my assistants that they just were afraid. It hurt them too much when they, they took a hit, you know, critique, and it, they couldn't come back for that, you know. Just CMNT, you can come back from it. <laughs> so, Ma was saying earlier, uh, you have like this very strong appreciation for your fan base, and he told he said he uh, 
saw you at the cons, definitely speaking to the children. And I just wanted to touch on that. You, you have your own children's book. And I was going yeah. through your website. It was listed as a labor of love. I was kind of like interested, yeah. like what was the inspiration behind the creation of it? And it's Banana Tales, right? Yeah, Banana Tales. Um, this is the uh, last book I did. I actually did an embossed monkey on it. You can see he's a little raised. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. This was, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I did a uh, Halloween special a couple of years ago. Banana Tales. <laughs> <laughs> Banana Tales Halloween special, yeah. And I got all cool guys to do my covers. It's Jim Calipuri did this one. That's awesome. Nice. John McManus did one, and I had uh, Charles... Paul Wilson do one. The guy does stuff for legends. Um, I started Banana Tail when my daughter was four years old and my son was newborn and my daughter had to have an operation on her throat to remove a cyst from her throat. And uh, I had to put the, the mask on her, you know, with the, uh, the you know, the, not the, whatever the agent is that knocked her out. And I mm -hmm. immediately went to the bathroom, cried my eyes out, I had to clean up myself and go tell my wife that, oh, she's going to be okay. You know, it was devastating yeah so when she woke up first thing i did is once we took the iv out of her is i took it to toys r us and i said whatever you want you could have you know um and i and then i thought you know i thought to myself i would love to be on the other side of this i would love to do children's uh, you know something with kids for kids and uh i started the first book and it's a labor of love because my father who passed away in 02 never got to see the book published you know um i published the first book myself um, but I had golden books, um, was interested in the characters and I was supposed to have a, uh, a meeting with a golden books editor on a Thursday mm -hmm. and I waited over the weekend and then Monday they went bankrupt. They, they, wow. they fired my editor. It all fell apart. Uh, and I, I remember them saying to me before that, that they were actually going to bring in a writer to write it for me or uh, buy two of my characters outright. Uh, Tic Tac, the Flat Zebra, and Banana Tail. And they were going to incorporate them in another a Golden Book uh, storyline called the Saggy Baggy Elephant, which I don't know who that is, but <laughs> you know, it was a, it was on Disney. It was these little shorts that went in between the half hour sh shows, um, and then it fell apart. But I knew at that point, if Golden Books liked it, I have to con I have to move forward with it. And I self published the first book in '03. My father passed the year before, and I sold out. Um, a modest print run of about a thousand copies in um, in comic shops, and then I did a second print run, and I was selling. I had, we did a school in um, upstate New York, and uh, the school was a little poverty, a little a bit of on the edge of having. It needed support mm. from uh, the the uh, government, so their PTA um, bought a book for each kid in the school. It was five hundred and fifty bucks. For me yeah wow um and that was really special and i went to the school to do a talk and i walk into the auditorium and there's 550 kids sitting there and uh i had to get up and talk in front of them and it was uh it was amazingly heartfelt for me you know um i drew i did a live sketch and uh it was just a beautiful thing and that just drove me to do more product you know and um now i have five and image comics jim valentino did my um my second uh, storybook, he did it under Silver Line Press, which was his um, image uh, surprint or, uh, you know, and he didn't know how to sell children's books. So he kind of like backfired on him a little bit, but I ended up buying all the books from him at a very affordable price and I have them now to sell, you know, but I'm going to continue that 
that thing just because it's dear to me, you know? Well, I mean, it with, looks like it's already going into a, into a new realm. I mean, yeah. you've got the CGI storybook now, yeah. so which is interesting, especially even in the beginning when we were talking about the difference of, of uh, digital art versus, uh, you know, still using pen and paper, and yet here we are, and you're, you went all digital on a book. Yeah, you know, I did that because I was working with uh, um, some teachers down in Full Sail University down in Winter Park, Florida, and they were animation teachers. And one of the guys t uh, took, you know, became friends of mine and said, we're looking to, to do more work outside of teaching. And I said, well, I have this opportunity here. And they had, the guys did um, 3D figures for me. That's and they awesome. did this. And I gave them layouts. And they just, they, they got it. They got it right, you know. Problem was, it just didn't sell super well. Just because, like I said, Valentino could sell a million Shadowhawks, but he couldn't sell a million <laughs> Banana Pills, you know. So... Uh, so it reverted back to me. It's you know? proof. I still love it. It's proof of We've concept for a show. Yeah. Like that's a show. Yeah. That's a proof of concept for a show. Like that should be absolutely pitched to a Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I have a character Bible with a, with a 12 episode uh, show guide. Really? Cool. Wow. I, yeah. It's just that I got to, you know, got to, got to get the right guy. We're going to see it. I get, yeah. I, I'm going to say it now. We're going to see that. That's going to, I don't know right. what streaming yeah. service is going to get it, but somebody's getting that. I believe that. We so since we have the CGI, we have the art, we've got the comic possible. Well, not say possible, a definite future show. Um, will there be a multiverse of banana tail where we get to see them? The actual banana tail that started off with no <laughs> just couldn't get that to work i don't know there's a lot i i i have some stipulations like i don't want to ever bring humans into it you know or adults you know except if they can help them with uh, finding their way or something like that but it's um you know things can change i don't want anybody wearing clothes like we need to poo you know uh they're jungle animals you know they don't wear vests you know and stuff that's like awesome that. but i mean if you know, if uh, Harper Collins wants to do a book and he's got a bow tie on, I I may say yes. You know, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but it's I'm trying to be strong, but who knows? I just wanted to ask you last uh, thirty plus years in the game. I'm always very interested in what uh, an artist's personal greatest accolade is, and you're at this very. <laughs> I would probably say a God level tier in the industry. Like what for you, what was your greatest accolade that you've received? As far as uh, creating something book wise? Yes. Um, yeah, it's a, it is a good question. I, I have some books that I, you know, well, the one book I, I will say that sold the best of anything I ever did was Spider-Man 375. It was the 35th anniversary of the metallic cover mm. with Venom. Bagley did the Venom Spider-Man cover. Um, that book sold 1.1 million copies, which was more, yeah, which doubled the most of anything I ever did in my 30 something years of illustrating or co-illustrating. Um, I didn't know, I had no idea, but I'll tell you a backstory on that. If you got a minute for that. Um, I'm here all I went day. to the office to pick up the artwork, just like the Todd McFarlane story, right? <laughs> Where I went to the office, and the editor says, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I came to get the uh, Spider-Man story that you promised me. He goes, oh, shit, I forgot. He says, follow me. <clears throat> he takes me across the 10th floor to the mail room. And he, I said, what are you doing? He says, I forgot I was going to give it to you. I put another inker's name on it and it's in a box going to him. It's in a box, a FedEx box going to him. 
He goes in the mail room, he takes the box, he rips it open, <laughs> hands me the pages, and he goes, he'll get something else. I said, don't, don't, don't do that. Give me something else to do. It's okay. He goes, no, 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 this is a big deal comic. This is the 35th anniversary of Amazing Spider-Man. And then I found out, you know, six months later when the royalty check came, you know, it was <laughs> more money than I made on the book by light years. Yeah, I mean, I think I made $640 to ink the eight-page story. And I made over 12K in royalties on that book, wow. you know? And then I signed 4,000 of them for the QVC that year. And they were selling them for $31.95 with my autograph, you know? Wow. And I paid $2 a book for 4,000 books. So that was a book that never just kept on, you know? Yeah. And then they write, recently they did She Venom's first appearances in that book. So now they're 20, 20, $25 books all over again. And there's a million of them. I don't think it's a hard, hard book to find, but people uh, keeps finding I, life. You know? I think I have three printings of it. I think I have the red, the green, and the blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that book just for sales alone was mind-boggling. Um, you know, doing number ones. I mean, my first job at DC, you know, when Karen Berger hired me to do Dr. Fate number one, I was a Dr. Fate fan. So for me to, to, get, to come out of the gate and get a contract from DC – to do Dr. Fate. Hmm. It's pretty mind-boggling. You just see my poster, poster hanging up in the comic shops with my name on it? Come on, man. <laughs> Dr. Fate's the truth. Well, I have. To, I mean, I had like two other questions I wanted to ask, but I'm going to push those aside. Dr. Fate now making a big screen appearance. Yes. What is that? What is that for you? Like, what? How I'm did... Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, it's amazing how that's more of a draw for me than, than Black Adam is. <laughs> was, what, yeah. Once James Bond, Dr. Fate's a cooler for character. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the way they did them though. They did them with the merge, the guy and the guy, and they had the guy and girl merge the hands and became into them. I, that was the incantation. I didn't love that one, but hey, it was Dr. Fate. You know, it was Sean McManus, Mark DeMattis, Mark McKenna, you know, almost roll off the tongue names, you know, <laughs> DeMattis, McManus, McKenna. You know? <laughs> Sounds like you just cast a spell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now you have that book sold 1.1 million copies. Um, is there other projects you worked on, you know, not including Banana Tales, where it might have sold not nearly as many copies, but you're more proud because of the work you did on it? Wolverine 95. Wolverine 95 was a big book. That was when Marvel bought Heroes World that year. Okay. And um, they didn't know how to they didn't know how to get the books in the stores, you know, so they kind of fell. They disappeared really fast. But the Wolverine 95 book was, that was the year that they for, they, for went, they for went the uh, annuals. Instead of called the Wolverine annual, they called it Wolverine 95, but it was a 48-page. They had the Nagari was in it, I think was the villains, and apostrophe, G-A-R-I, Nagari, is that the name? And then um, uh, uh, Nightcrawler was in that book, and that was a book that I was very proud of. It was a stand I didn't do a lot of X-Men work in my career either. So for me to have to have a 48-page Wolverine uh, annual in my in my back, you know, in my pocket felt really good. The other thing I did, which is cool, is I did the movie adaptation for the X-Men movie. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. 2001 or something. I didn't know that. That's awesome. 2001, yeah. Yeah, I did the um, Wolverine movie prequel, and which was a cool story too because uh, they took the 48 pages, they took the first 16 pages of it. And made it a, as a to be continued comic book that they gave away three million copies of it at Toys R Us. Oh wow! Yeah, and the movie theater. So I bought. Pretty my sure I have. 
Sorry. Pretty sure I have copies of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm almost definite it's in my box over yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. It has a little Toys R Us logo on the side. But uh, when I went to the movie theater to see the movie, they gave me my own comic book at the admission. I'm like, what? I walk in the theater, you walk in, looking around, and there's people reading the comics. It's, it's amazing. Surreal, you know? You're one of the few people who will ever have that experience of like, I, I, I don't need, I don't need this. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I know. I, yeah, I hand it back to him. Yeah, I, I have plenty at home. I don't like, need that. Hey guys, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, that's me. That's my, that's my, that's yeah. my name. Yeah, you stand up in the front. People if anybody would it. like a signature, I'll be waiting by the exit at the end. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right, so I do. Uh, we've. I know we're going to be wrapping up in a little bit here, but I do have one more. Uh, we'll call it one more big question, because uh, I see on your Twitter you mention NFTs a lot, and it's such a weird thing for the comic world. It seems that there's these. There's a lot of yays and nays towards it. Um, what do you? Th- how do you think NFTs are going to play a role in the future of comics and especially of the creators? Uh, you know. A year ago, November is the first time I ever did a drop with an NFT market. Um, one of these guys was look. I don't know, one of these NFT co-owners was looking to break into comic books, and uh, uh, Jose Delbo, who was a kind of a moderately, you know, recognizable name on Wonder Woman back in the mid '70s, had just sold something with Batman that this other guy painted and it's, it, I don't know, made him hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I did this uh, drop with, with uh, them. So a year ago, November, and I, overnight, I think I, I made more money than I made the whole year before, you know, and I was like, this is real, you know? Um, and I was only the second pro as far as I know to, to break into that business. But I didn't do the homework on it, right? I was just so thankful that this happened. And then I found out, of course, later that, you know, there's a power, um, you pay gas fees on sales, you know, and I didn't really know what gas fees were. And apparently there's a lot of energy used to create these minted NFTs. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. And um, it's not environmentally sound in the long period of time. But I didn't know this at the time. I just was thrilled that the whole avenue opened up for me. Um, And then some guy interviewed me and then he saw me post something on Twitter and he came back to me and said, listen, I have to do my due diligence here and ask you, do you realize this can be affecting the environment? And I said, I went back to the company and I said, what do I say to this guy? I wasn't aware I was hurting things. You know, I'm not out to hurt anybody. Right. And he said to me, I just found an article, he goes, and the article says that minting an NFT causes less energy than mint, uh, than two Google searches. Ooh, wow. 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 Yeah. And I sent that to the guy. He goes, that's all I need to know. And, wow. you know, and, uh, but I think there are, um, crypto money that do more. NFTs, unfortunately are getting blocked into Bitcoin. Right. Where you have factories that are, you know, pulling more energy from one factory than a major city, a major city does. Mm -hmm. And that's really what's impacting the global uh, energy of this and giving kind of that bad uh, taste in people's mouth. But there are some NFTs that are even going as far as they are being created just to combat, you know, some of it. So I think we're seeing a balance there. 
but where do you stand on the NFTs that have function behind them more than just a collectible doodad? You know, we have yeah. TV shows and comic books and concerts tied to these, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, the one company I work for, uh, if you ever looked on Twitter, you see Mark McKenna's Heroes and Villains. <laughs> these guys put my name on there. I'm like, don't do that. Now I can never die, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, they, uh, these guys just paid uh, place, the guys who created product for PlayStation, I think a quarter million dollars to create a whole playable game for these NFTs that we did. So, yeah, it's not just collecting a crow or a, a shark. That's cool. You know, it's, uh, it's functional. So um, not only are you going to be able to purchase these NFTs, you're going to actually use them in a game, a, a, you know, a, a video game or an online game, which is really cool. And um, the NFTs they did were uh, evolving, right? So you got a generic male or female figure, and then they put a hair, and then every, every 72 hours, they gave them a new component. So it would be a weapon, it would be a background, oh, it would be cool. a hairstyle, it would be a uniform. And now we're, the next thing we're going to do is uh, add henchmen or sidekicks. Henchmen mm. are villains, right? The sidekicks are the heroes. And uh, so there's always something happening with these NFTs. And the other thing about it is it's not Bitcoin or Ethereum. Uh, it's Solana, which is the, which is the safer of the, um, of the crypto money. You know, which... <laughs> the safer for right now. Yeah. I don't, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, to the listeners of Fireside, uh, please speak to your investment managers before you make any kind of digital investment. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the other day it'd be really cool for the rebirth of conventions to tie NFTs to that. Oh, that's a great um, idea. So you have artists come in and there's always these long lines and who gets paid what. But what if it was NFT based where you sell X number of these and the only people that can come in get this, but rather than nickel and diming fans, you know, hey, you are part of our club. Here's this NFT. Here's the guest list this year that you get to go meet and interact with and maybe have a Q&A or a personal signing with. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a way to tie comics to the future of, you know, finance as well as help make comic conventions relevant to the point where it's not just pop culture anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like that idea a lot. And actually the, the guys at um, master brews that I'm working for uh, would like to figure, try to figure out, they think I'm a component to help them merge. I don't know that I can do that, but I can bring it to certain people's attention, you know, and see if that's something they would, I still well, think there's a lot of, a lot of bouncing off each other right now, you know, maybe they'll figure it out. If you need convention ho hosts, I know a couple guys. <laughs> We've done it Name in the, past. In the hat. <laughs> um, but no, I think it would be really cool. Also, it'd be that one thing a year where, as a fan, you don't have to worry about, oh, how am I going to afford XCon again? Or can I get tickets? Or is there a lottery? Mm -hmm. You know, oh my God, I, I couldn't get in. And this is the time I could meet Mark McKenna. Mm -hmm. You have that peace of mind that, you know what? I invested early. I have this thing here mm -hmm. and it says I'm a part of this community. Sounds great. And I get to just enjoy myself. Yeah, no, I like it, man. I hope, yeah. But even just another revenue stream for artists. I mean, that's the thing that I always thought was the most amazing part about it is because most of the time, especially for comic artists, it was dictated by the, unless you had a, a hit original book, mm -hmm. it was dictated by the, the big three for the most part. 
now when the when the nft boom first started remember all the remember all those artists who were, were immediately putting up their work as nfts and i believe it was dc who shut them all down it was like no you can't do that anymore it, it, it's and I, and I think it's because everyone's still trying to figure out how that works with other people's ip but you're still the art like how how all this fits together but it it's mm. it would be weird to believe that that's not the future in some which way yeah i don't know if it's the form that it is now but it's going to be involved in something it has to be yeah you know it's funny you say about that dc uh, cease and desist order it was because of this jose delvo uh did something with wonder woman that made 1.85 million dollars and all of wow. a sudden you, you're not under the radar anymore yeah it changed everything <laughs> yeah i was ready to drop a a dart because i'm connected to the star wars the old republic stuff mm -hmm. i was ready to drop some darth vader pieces and they also they said no more of that thank you so yeah so that wow. took a hit for that but here's another thing if i if you guys come to a con and say to me can you draw darth vader for me i can draw darth vader for you right it's never going to be an issue but if i want to sell a, an nft is a single right it's not an addition it's a one of one right why can't you do that you know well, and the argument can be made that you're technically not buying the art the art is just the symbol for that thing on the blockchain mm -hmm. you are selling a blockchain mm, um so copyright law and law in general hasn't caught up to nfts and what they mean uh because people go well why is that board ape it's an ugly piece of art why is that worth a ton of money yeah. well it's not the picture Right. It, it has nothing to do with the picture. It has the the hype behind it right. is what you're buying into, yeah, yeah, and, and now the added value of certain things is what you're buying into. Mm -hmm. The picture is just like a label on top of it to know that up oh, this is what we can see in, and it identifies visually your specific ones and zeros on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So, I have a feeling, especially now the U.S. government's getting involved in looking mm -hmm. into how to control and stabilize nfts because there's been too many rug pulls recently of them going on mm -hmm. that we might see the ability for maybe you to put out a darth vader because it's you're selling it directly to somebody and it's not commercially or mass available but it, it's got to evolve i mean look at okay so when digital movies came out remember everyone bought dvds and then they bought the the movie but you couldn't put the movie on a dvd because you bought the medium right. and then ever and then then it was so it was a whole big to do with with copyright law and then all of a sudden dvd started coming with the digital copy of the movie you still don't own that digital copy but you get my point is that they yeah. start to evolve like these things evolve and they get brought into the fold and as you can see twitter's now doing nft things um instagram's starting to do nft like it's it's inevitable that this influences comics in some which way how i have no idea but it's it's there's no way in the world that an art-based crypto is not going to influence one of the the biggest art related mediums out there I'll say this: I'm I'm officially a senior citizen next week. <laughs> uh, I got my Medicare card. I don't need this for the I don't need this for the rest of my life. Just give me two more good years, and I'm I, I'll go away quietly. <laughs> well, honestly, that's what most of the big NFT investors are saying. You know, you've got the Gary V's and all that that are going, "Hey guys, you're talking about this being in the future." I'm telling you, it's a year or two, um, because the foundation it's built on is sand that's moving you know down a river right like on. there's no base for this I, I to continue it. past a year or two from now yeah. um it could spark some really cool ideas but because the reason why it's worth so much is also the reason why it can't last is because it is all hype yeah. and it is 
nothing tying it to it. Until there's functionality, just like you said earlier. That's what I'm saying. Is there's still like how you just evolved that idea of how to interact with Comic Cons with NFTs mm-hmm. is brilliant. Brilliant mm-hmm. idea. That is a that's an amazing idea. And that's what's gonna start to happen. I truly believe there's going to be NFTs that come alive. Like just like you were handed a comic when you went to go see the movie, Mark, you're eventually going to maybe get an NFT or something that comes with a ticket. Well they're already doing well, that. Well there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is for the valuation um nothing and we can go on a huge talk but for things to last the valuation has to have some sort of stability and the second the hype dies on an nft the value drops so nobody's going to then want to put in ton of money again so it doesn't matter what kind of functionality you're giving them Mm -hmm. if it's not something where it is a roi you're going to lose those main investors so we need to find something that is a bottom cap to stabilize um and that normally only can happen with government intervention but i just hope that mark you get two years a few multi-million dollar drops mm, right there um, yes. and we at least get one convention the mark mckenna fireside comic appreciation convention <laughs> and uh, and it's all going to be happy 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 news it sounds good to me man i'll tell you the one the one thing um Maker's Place is one of the uh, platforms that I do work for. Those are the guys that asked me about the Vader stuff and all that. And then I went on to Alice in Wonderland, which is public domain stuff. You know, Mm. I did some mythology drops. And um, just before, uh, when I found out that uh, Delbo did $1.85 million and I was ready to drop those Vader pieces, it was originally going to be Vader and then uh, Baby Yoda Vader and then um, I was going to do Combat Jacks Vader, so I was slowly oh, going to get into my own product. It would have been and awesome. then I said, "No, you can't do this anymore." But I was ready to. If he made 1.85 million, I'm thinking I could do 50 grand, you know, overnight. You know, it was that kind of a thing. And then it just shut down. But right. what about parody? Do a parody Vader. I could would do be parody. legal. Mm. Yeah, change his color a little bit. Change we do that. You know, Mad Magazine still they've already laid the groundwork for parody to be legal. Yeah. Well you so see all that um, you see all that uh Xenos, was Xenoscope does all those uh fairy tale yep. things and all and you know, sexy, you know, Alice in Wonderland and um I you know, I was always you know, I'm messing with that now. I just did a piece that uh an animated Alice with a Cheshire cat that disappears on the tree. It's going to be beautiful um, when it comes live. But part of me is worried about putting a blue dress with a white apron on it because I don't want Disney coming down on me for that. So I made her an adult, you know, and she's not a, you know, 12, 14-year-old girl anymore. So you always hold your breath a little bit because, you know, they can find stuff if they want. Worked for Zenoscope. (laughs) Yeah. Worked for them. (laughs) My example, you know. From the mad uh, lawsuit, intent is hard to prove against so it's harder for them to prove that your intent was to copy them versus your intent was to be a parody of them yeah that's all gonna leave it on yeah no (laughs) (laughs) i love i just want Um, i just want to see a darth vader nft i know (laughs) well i want uh, i want all three i want to go all the way into combat jacks well i have a question i actually i finished them i just couldn't uh... oh you do you already did all three of them they're all done in full color, yeah. 
Well, yeah, I'll, right. send you, I'll send you images later. If oh, it, please do. Well, my name please on do. It. Well, if it's always you, <laughs> well, we Lorenzo's could probably my name t- on it. <laughs> yeah, we could probably talk another two, three, sixteen hours um, in getting plans for our convention going, but we do have to stop. Menti, do that thing. You can find the show Welcome to Fireside everywhere online. That's at Welcome to Fireside of your social media choice, unless it's Twitter, which is Fireside Crew. And once again, we appreciate the support we've been given. So thank you for uh, all the comments, uh, all the likes, rating on iTunes. All of it goes a long way. So thank you very much. Uh, and once again, I'm Menti. And I'm Features. And I'm Mr. Mauer. Again, go to welcometofireside.com, go to mashocollectibles.com, give us some of your hard-earned cash so we can buy some NFTs <laughs> and hopefully bring a convention to you in the near future. Mark, where can we find you? So uh, I have websites, uh, markmckennaart.com, where you go to my children's book, bananatail.com. I also have uh, Combat Jacks, which is my, my own IP, combatjacks.com. You can find me on Twitter. I think it's Mark McKenna 419 or 711. I'm not sure which one I used. Uh, you'll find me there. And then uh, Facebook, I'm being very judicial these days about who I let in. Um, but I have an art page there on Facebook. And then I'm also on Instagram. Love it. Love it. So we're awesome. all going to try and become friends with you on Facebook and then laugh at the ones who don't get picked. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it, it has been a pleasure. You are one of the few comic creators out there that is genuine and kind to everyone so we appreciate that and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again soon thanks for having me it was really fun appreciate it take care mark